0: Thank you for tuning in today and welcome back to another episode of The Source, I'm your and Raza. Before I start this interview, I would like to share with you that we are in the last days of our crowdfunding campaign. This campaign is aiming to raise enough funds so that we can continue with our independent and non-profit journalism in 2024. Journalism that is viewer-funded and does not take any money from corporations or governments. If we raise enough funds, we will be able to cover our costs that includes for example tax advising, insurance, post-production voiceover translation correction and many others if you're unable to raise enough funds we will unfortunately have to scale back on our capacities so if you're watching our videos regularly make sure to donate just a small amount two to three dollars or euros by checking out the links to the donation platforms in the description of this video below if all of our subscribers just donate that amount we will be able to not only achieve our crowdfunding target but also be able to cover our costs for the next two to three years Today, I'll be talking to activist and physician, Dr. Jill Stein, on Israel's war in Gaza. Dr. Jill Stein is also running for president again in the United States for the Green Party USA, which we will also discuss in length in this interview. Dr. Jill Stein, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, Zain, as always. Let us start with a fundamental assessment before moving into recent issues. After the October 7 terrorist attacks of Hamas had killed at least 1,200 Israelis, 1,318 of whom were military personnel, Israel responded by declaring war in Gaza. So far, Israel has killed 22,000 Palestinians, 70% of them being women and children. According to the UN, around half of the people of Gaza are facing starvation, 8 in 10 Gazans are now homeless, and in total, 2 million people have been displaced, all because of Israel's relentless assault. Could you provide your response, in particular to Hamas's October 7 attacks, and thereafter also comment on Israel's response? Yeah, so,
1: um, you know, I I abhor all uh, forms of violence against uh, people. Uh, and, you know, to me, that applies across the board. Uh, I condemn all uh, attacks on civilians, period. However, what's going on on the part of the Netanyahu government is in a league of its own, and it's been recently documented by a study with the Washington Post uh, that the assault from uh Israel going on uh in Gaza uh, exceeds in intensity, speed and extent everything else you know everything else that there is a record of the destruction is just off the charts not only of buildings as you characterized uh but you know on on the press uh on civilians uh there's collective punishment going on there's no question about that um uh Essentially, the entire population uh, is in a state of starvation now. And the hunger crisis going on is greater also than all other hunger crises on record, including uh, the history with uh, Afghanistan uh, and, uh, and in Yemen, uh, given the speed and intensity of it. Uh, you also have this concentrated um, mass of humanity In squalid conditions, people have been driven out of their homes, many of them dying in their homes. And the figure of 22,000 killed is an underestimate, considering how many are under the rubble, dying and dead. Uh, This is ongoing. And um, people were driven south uh, along routes they were told would be safe, but which were not safe, you know, People are being uh, shuttled along in, um, you know, in makeshift wheelchairs, you know, the the handicapped and the disabled. There's no way to get there uh, under car or bus or anything else. You know, people are on foot being driven like cattle, bombed as they flee. And then they're being bombed when they get to where they're going as refugee centers and so on are also subject to 2,000 pound uh, bunker busters, which are being dropped on them, all with the uh, essentially the assistance, uh, the aid and abetting uh, by the United States and our tax dollars. Uh, we are basically providing the bombs and the munitions and selling uh, the aircraft from which they are being dropped. Uh, you know, this is this is on all of us. This is absolutely intolerable. And the final thing to mention is that we may have seen nothing yet because with people concentrated under squalid conditions, sick, they're starving. So they're all you know in horrible health condition. This is a setup for uh, an epidemic of infectious diseases that could wipe people out at a rate that, you know, that uh, we ain't seen nothing yet uh, compared to the brutality that's going on. So this is, you know, if we have a shred of human decency, uh, we have to stop this. You know, I grew up as, as a Jew just after uh, the Holocaust and I grew up committed to the proposition that genocide would not happen again but clearly we are looking at what many authorities claim now is a textbook case of genocide and you know there's no da- denying this is absolute ethnic cleansing by design. So you know these are war crimes on steroids. Uh, if we have a shred of human decency we have to stop them because as Gaza goes, basically this stets, sets the standard for the world. We
0: have to stop this. Uh, For the sake of objectivity, I would like to present some arguments that are heard in the German media. Uh, For example, Israel has to eliminate Hamas in order to secure its society from terrorist attacks, such as the one that happened on October 7th. And secondly, all of these uh, deaths that have come around, 22,000 of Palestinians, including women and children, are primarily the responsibility of uh, Hamas that have taken these people as human shields. Could you address these arguments?
1: It's important to have historical context here. This conflict did not begin on October 7th. Uh, you know, if you say that Israel is, uh, you know, exercising retribution, well, Hamas is also exercising retribution. And there have been an endless series of attacks, degradation, uh, basically violence as as a way of life. and. Enormous numbers, you know, many tens of thousands who have also been killed prior to this. That you know, uh, Israel, uh, for better or worse, had ethnic cleansing from the get-go, and Palestinians were basically shuttled out of the way. And this is not to deny that uh, anti-Semitism and the violence committed against the Jewish people, uh, you know, that is a uh, is a is a reality and was really a state of longstanding terror that the zionists were responding to however if the response to terror is more terror there will be no end to it and um you know and and what's going on now is is just uh head and shoulders above what preceded it. So this doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, In terms of the deaths being the responsibility of Hamas, well, but then the the violence committed on Hamas was the responsibility of the IDF uh, for decades in advance. You had ethnic cleansing of at least 750,000 people, and you had many tens of thousands of deaths uh, that were committed over the over the course of decades. So the solution here is international law. International law doesn't exist uh, you know, uh, by happenstance. It's intended to solve this kind of problem and to interrupt this endless series of retribution. But as I say, the retribution that's going on now is just uh, orders of magnitude worse than anything that's ever been done before. And it absolutely has to be stopped.
0: I would like to take this conversation to the international level and then move to the regional and domestic aspects. On the 12th of December 2023, the United Nations General Assembly voted to demand an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. A clear majority that included 153 nations voted in favor of a ceasefire, while 10 voted against it and 23 abstained. The most powerful nation that voted against it a ceasefire was obviously the United States of America. On the 23rd of December 2023, the United Nations Security Council finally passed a resolution on more aid for Gaza. Uh, how, more aid for Gaza. However, after days of negotiation, the text of the resolution was essentially watered down and did not call for an immediate ceasefire, and instead calls for steps to be taken to create conditions for a sustainable cessation of hostilities. Can you talk about the role of the United States, in particular, why it keeps viewing any resolution that calls for an immediate ceasefire?
1: Yeah, this is this is outrageous, and this is the role that the U.S. has performed over, you know, really since the founding of Israel, that the U.S. has really blocked uh, the expression of the world community uh, of, you know, concern and outrage and efforts to correct the violations of international law that have been longstanding. And this does not do Israel any favors. In the long run, this puts Israel in a very precarious position. And, you know, we can talk more about that later. But uh, what's going on now is extremely dangerous for Israel. And we're seeing uh, conflicts now erupt. Uh, throughout the Middle East and particularly on Israel's border. And more and more players are being mobilized where Israel had made some progress uh, with some of its neighbors. That now has basically been uh, torn to shreds and uh, its neighbors are being mobilized to stop this outrage. And the sympathies of the world right now, given a genocide on full display being live streamed by its victims, you know, this is incredible. And Al Jazeera is also live streaming the nightly attacks uh, going on uh, from Lebanon. Uh, You know, they have a beautiful view of the explosions in Gaza. So the world community and especially the Arab community is being uh, quite mobilized right now. And this has become an incredible powder keg. And you know, just remember that one nuclear submarine now carries the equivalent of 4,000 Hiroshima bombs, 4,000. There is a nuclear submarine off the coast of Gaza. I don't know if it's nuclear armed or not. I have not seen that as public information. Uh, we don't know. At least I don't know, and I haven't seen anybody who does. But whether there are nuclear weapons there or not, I mean, we know that Israel is nuclear armed. And this thing could proliferate so quickly. Um, Iran has just sent a battleship into the Red Sea as the conflict uh, uh, pertaining to shipping, uh, you know, begins to explode. And which is going to have a huge impact on the economy as well as the flow of fossil fuels down the Red Sea um, becomes, you know, in- impossible. So, you know, there are enormous consequences here, including, you uh, Uh, engagement that could go nuclear. And remember, nuclear war doesn't happen over there. It happens to all of us wherever it occurs. And for example, if one nuclear submarine was to discharge its weapons, heaven forbid, 4,000 Hiroshima bombs going off creates enough nuclear winter, that is debris that's cast into the upper atmosphere and which basically blocks sunlight to various degrees over a course of years. It reduces agricultural production sufficient to cause um, basically global starvation. One third of the world's population would die from one nuclear submarine. And that's just one. So in this day and age where we are armed to the teeth and nuclear arms are growing in part because uh, the uh, treaties have been destroyed, particularly by the actions of the U.S., um, this is Unbelievably dangerous, unspeakably dangerous. And everyone needs to see themselves in the target hairs of this exploding conflict and put it to a stop right now using the power of international law. And the U.S. needs to get out of the way of the expressions of international law by uh, by the uh, U.N. Security Council and the General Assembly.
0: When Russia invaded Ukraine, the United States was very adamant um for invoking international law, calling for sanctions, mobilizing the ICC. Um, However, when um, Israel is now attacking Gaza and has been historically, as you mentioned, uh, annexing Palestinian territory um, every year to year, even though the United States has voiced some criticism, it has never followed up with concrete sanctions. Why do you think there's this double standards on the one hand Uh, when Russia annexes uh, territory, Ukrainian territory, uh, it is followed up with sanctions, but on the other hand, when Israel uh, annexes Palestinian territory, there's only criticism, but no sanctions. Why is there this double standards in the U.S. policy?
1: Well, I would say that double standards and hypocrisy are the name of the game with U.S. international policy. Remember that our military Um, uh, general philosophy is described as full spectrum dominance Uh, start going all the way back to the breakup of the old Soviet Union Uh, the U.S. was very clear our policy is to suppress the emergence of any regional power period regional uh, or 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 global but even at the level of region uh, the U.S. policy explicitly prohibits the uh, emergence of an economic or military power, and we will suppress it. And, you know, uh, Anthony Blinken and company, they don't talk about international law. They talk about, I forget what their term for it is, but it's basically, we call the rules here. We call the shots and we get to change it from moment to moment, which is what they do and which is why the U.S. has lost uh, credibility. So this is not only you know a, um, a disaster for the people of Gaza, this is a disaster for Israel, and this is also a disaster for the U.S., and this is really speeding the transition from this unipolar world where we were basically the bully uh in the schoolyard to a multipolar world that's you know that must get along with each other and there is a very strong emergence now of the alternative economy through the BRICS which is growing through its development agencies and they have access to a lot of um uh oil and, and fossil fuel energy. So we have basically lost the stranglehold on world power. And as we recede, you know, as the sun sets on the era of the U.S. empire, we better get, go, get moving to shore up international law, or we ourselves will be victims of this, you know, of this state of chaos that we have helped to create.
0: Another significant international development last week was that South Africa became the first country to file a lawsuit against Israel at the International Court of Justice. This adds to the international pressure on Israel to end its assault in which, as you've already mentioned, 22,000 Palestinians have been killed, most of them being women and children. South Africa is accusing Israel of committing genocide in Gaza in violation of the 1948 Genocide Convention, which defines genocide as, quote, acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national ethnic religious or racial group uncode how do you assess this development and do you think this will put enough pressure on israel to stop its actions
1: this is a uh, a very important development and uh, it's it's um really to the credit of South Africa that they have stood up to do this. and in some of the international commentary before this um uh, some observers, one in particular was saying a, a former um, ambassador, a former U.S ambassador to Uzbekistan um who's now very politically active and he was saying that the reason nations were hesitating was not because, this wouldn't work but rather because it's very, you know, it is so true that it's going to be virtually impossible for a conviction not to go through. And that just has staggering consequences because if a finding of genocide, um, you know, or ethnic cleansing is made, then the uh, IJC, the International Court of Justice and the uh, International Criminal Court then have a right to uh, basically issue uh, arrest warrants for our leaders, you know, That includes U.S. leaders as well as uh, Israeli, because uh, our hands are covered in blood here uh, in this. And if our leaders uh, had their own um, security in mind, they would be calling this whole thing off right now uh, while they still can do that. So this is a very important development. The problem is that these wheels do not turn quickly. Uh, From my, you know, limited understanding of this process, this doesn't happen like right away. And right now you have 2 million people. We are on a death watch right now for 2 million people who could be days or even just hours away from an epidemic that completely wipes them out. You know, they don't have food and they don't have water and they don't have a place to put their heads. You know, or a place to wash or a place to toilet. I mean, it's like you couldn't design more torturous conditions for families, innocent families and children than what's going on right now. And this could lead to the worst possible consequences imaginable very quickly. And that's the problem with this strategy and why we must also, um, you know, invoke uh, political solutions there are political solutions. This could be solved in the blink of an eye, and we can talk more about that.
0: I want to move to the regional dimensions of this conflict, which you briefly mentioned. Last week, an Israeli airstrike in Damascus, Syria, killed a high-ranking Iranian general named Sayyid Razi Muzafi, a long-time advisor of the Iranian paramilitary revolutionary guard in Syria. Today, it is being reported that a drone strike that many suspect uh, was conducted by Israel killed a senior Hamas official named Saleh al-Ori in Beirut, Lebanon. In your view, does Israel have the right to conduct extrajudicial assassinations in foreign countries such as Iran and Syria in the name of self-defense? And how close do you think we are to a regional war?
1: They do not have the right. I mean, you can't, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's just not going to fly. And any country could define any uh, assassination as self-defense. That doesn't make it legal. It's not. and. This is uh, very dangerous territory now and is certainly, you know, one has to wonder, is Netanyahu trying to do this? Is he trying to enlarge the war and drag the U.S. into it? And, uh, you know, this is an utter disaster. And Netanyahu is a nutcase, you know, and his government is the extreme far right right now. They are the thing that they claim, you know, they're all... um, You know, they're quick to accuse Hamas of being Nazi-like. But, you know, when you're committing genocide, it's hard to be, you know, more um, uh, right-wing extremist and fascist than committing genocide. So, um, you know, this is uh, a very dangerous partner uh, for the U.S. to be working with. And it's just another reason why we need to... Uh, reboot here. We need to completely reboot our relationship with Israel uh, and with the Middle East in general and make it consistent with international law. And that should include the, uh, the global treaty now uh, against nuclear weapons and to ban them. And that will make all of us safer uh, in one fell swoop. Um, but that's very much the direction that uh, we must go as quickly as possible.
0: Another major escalation, which you also mentioned, is happening in the Red Sea. The Yemeni's um, armed militia called the Houthis have vowed to stop all commercial ships bound for Israel until Israel stops its genocide, and to counter this, the U.S. built a naval coalition in the Red Sea. Uh, On the 1st of uh, January 2024, the U.S. military reported that it killed 10 Houthi fighters and sank three of the Yemeni armed groups' vessels in the Red Sea. I also want to uh, cite an excerpt of a speech made by the army spokesman of the Houthis and let me quote him here. Quote, They bombarded our hospitals, they bombarded our markets, bombarded our roads, bombarding our people while they were sound asleep in their homes, just like it happened to us. It's the same aggression, the same American bombs being poured on Gaza with the same ones being poured on us in Yemen. The aggressor is the one, the aggressor aggression is one, the leader of it is America the one who has led the aggression in yemen is the same one who is leading it in palestine what do you make of the statements by the houthi's should they be taken seriously or simply dismissed well it's true you
1: know you can't argue with the facts you may not want to hear them but this is true and you know though our our uh, compliant media uh stays silent about much of this you know um this is what's going on on the ground and this is really why I think it's important you know to think that that Gaza isn't just Gaza Gaza is all of us and if we degrade the standard of humanity if we allow this genocide to go forward we are really incurring the wrath of many nations here that are very sympathetic you know the US has sent its military uh 250 times over the past 30 years. That is according to the Congressional Research Service. So we do this, you know, according to William Blum, the um, the author who cataloged U.S. Uh, regime change operations, you know, enumerated 55 of them. And that was just going up to uh, approximately 2018. And there have been many since. So there is enormous... And even going back to Martin Luther King, you know, he described it as my country is the greatest purveyor of violence that uh, in the world today. And that pertains today. Our military budget uh, is equivalent to the next biggest nine countries' military budgets world over. So we are viewed really as the purveyor of violence. And there's a lot of karma that goes with that. And we're asking for trouble. And this sense of, you know, entitlement that we can inflict violence on the whole world and think that it's not coming back to bite us. It absolutely is. Uh it is right now. And I'm sure you know that there have been over a hundred attacks now on US bases uh in the vicinity of of the of the Middle East right now. And we are alarming and uh, mobilizing a lot of firepower against us. And that includes Hezbollah, which is a far stronger player. And thousands of Israelis are at risk now. They are going to start dying as well if we allow this war to expand to bring in Hezbollah, and particularly Iran. And Iran, as of yesterday, what I heard, and I haven't seen the news about this today, but it looked like Iran has now sent a battleship in to um, to defend the Houthis, whose three ships were sunk by the U.S. last week. So this is just exploding before our eyes. And let's not be naive about where this goes. We have potentially, you know, a conflagration that is 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 going to be as devastating to Israel as it is to other countries and this could go ballistic from there as well and could entail the use of nuclear weapons which are you know extremely dangerous because they have a global impact regardless of where they explode they emit um you know uh enough debris to contribute to nuclear winter and it doesn't take that many Uh, so-called low-level nuclear bombs to actually begin to really devastate the uh, global food supply. So we have to consider ourselves in the crosshairs of this conflict.
0: Israeli finance minister Bezalel Smotrich, who is from the extreme far-right religious Zionism party, received strong condemnation, including from the U.S., for making the following statement, and let me quote him here. Our resettlement policy is necessary. A small country like ours cannot afford a reality where four minutes away from our communities there is a hotbed of hatred and terrorism, where two million people wake up every morning with aspiration for the destruction of the state of Israel and with a desire to slaughter, rape and murder Jews wherever they are." National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Rivir, another senior far-right Israeli uh, figure, responded to the US condemnation by making the following remarks on the platform X. Quote, I really admire the United States of America, but with all due respect, we are not another star in the American flag. Why do you think Israel can continue with a carte blanche and even um, embarrass the United States publicly while incurring not even any form of repercussions or uh, sanctions? Um, Does the United States control policy in Israel or is it the other way around?
1: yeah um well whatever the whoever is calling the shots you know it's probably both um you know it's it's a disaster uh for all of us and this goes way back this kind of joined at the hip uh, foreign policy, and back in the Reagan era, you had his Secretary of Defense Casper Weinberger uh, describing Israel as the unsinkable battleship for the U.S. in the Middle East, and the U.S. has traditionally relied on Israel as an outpost of U.S. influence at the center of you know of fossil fuels, and you know, now the U.S. itself is the biggest uh, provider of fossil fuels uh, in, in the world. So things have changed. Uh, you have APAC, which has just pledged $100 million actually to defeat uh, those who dare uh, utter the word, you know, um, uh, ceasefire fire uh, in, uh, in the U.S. Congress. You know, so certainly AIPAC and the control of money. But one can ask, you know, the same question for our fossil fuel and energy policies, for our healthcare system, which is the most expensive in the world and the worst among uh, developed nations in terms of its, um, you know, its effectiveness, uh, you know, our school system, which is crumbling and, um, you know, the mountain of debt that uh, not only young people have to pay for their just you know to get educated to have a a chance in today's economy you know they're in debt from the get-go I mean we have a crazy system because it's essentially run by money uh in the words of the Supreme Court Justice from the past century Louis Brandeis we have a choice between a democracy or vast concentrations of wealth we have vast concentrations of wealth on steroids, which has essentially bought out our political system. And, you know, if you're really going to fix this, uh, it requires quite a um, a system reboot so that we put, you know, we take the big money out of our political system and put the people back in. Uh, it's definitely, you know, short on that. And that expresses itself in things like our unbelievably irrational foreign policy, which is, you know, as we said, this is full spectrum dominance. Uh, This is about dominating the world, which not only doesn't work, it's also bankrupting us because this is usurping half of the U.S. um, congressional budget. Uh, We are spending basically a trillion dollars a year for uh, endless, uh, for the endless war machine. And as a consequence, we have tens of millions of people who do not have health care or housing, uh, who are swamped in debt, uh, who are on the verge of eviction. Uh, President Biden recently started up student debt payments Uh, again. Donald Trump had stopped them, had paused them, and uh, Joe Biden had reinstituted them when they didn't have to happen, uh, which has not uh, uh, made young people uh, shall we say feel indebted and 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 favorable uh, to Joe Biden? But when they when these debt payments started up, forty percent of students were unable to make those payments. This is the economic condition right now of the American people. Sixty percent are living paycheck to paycheck. So, you know, we are in free fall right now uh, as a society here in the U.S. And our resources are being expended on genocide. What does that say about our current, um, you know, bipartisan regime? It has to go. It has to go. Just like genocide has to be stopped.
0: Let us move to the United States. Could you provide us um, a breakdown of how the political parties are positioning themselves towards Gaza? In particular, I would like to know uh, the state of the Democratic Party, the Progressives, the centrists, and Republican parties. Are there any voices at the moment that are uh, calling? um openly that there's a genocide taking place in Gaza.
1: I haven't heard anybody using that word. Um, you know, for the most part they have all been in lockstep and um you know, in in perfect harmony and agreement that uh that Israel has to quote defend itself by slaughtering women and children and babies and starving uh, you know, 2 million people. Um recently uh bernie sanders had a change of heart somewhat belatedly but he is the one person there may be a couple other scattered here and there but he's sort of the one figure now who has refused to authorize um you know the uh the next set of uh economic and you know military giveaways he's he's he has kind of put his foot down to say, no, we can't just give them a blank check, you know. But but what people are, even he, what they're asking for is, oh, let's have more targeted killing, you know. And that's not going to solve it, you know. In order to solve this, we really need to use international law. There probably needs to be uh, UN peacekeepers to ensure that everyone's going to feel safe while, you know, while a new, um, you know, uh, a new Israeli regime comes into play here and a new approach going forward, Uh, whether that is a two-state solution or needs to be a one-state solution. uh, It's not going to happen quickly and it's not going to happen by itself. There really need to be some, you know, some uh, referees here. But the first thing that has to happen is that we have to stop, you know, providing that blank check and providing the weapons by which people are being murdered. And neither party has come close to... Uh, even, you know, sh- shedding a beam of light whatsoever, you know, an iota of light on what's going on here. Uh, this is not about Hamas starting a war on October 7th. This is about a war that has been ongoing for a long time in which, you know, Gaza has been subjected to absolutely inhuman punishing and murderous conditions as a fact of daily life so you know the hamas uh, attack on israel was horrific and barbaric but that's what you get uh under the conditions given the barbarism and the violence that's been imposed on gaza from the get go so the whole thing has to be fixed and by uh by exercising this murderous uh, assault on women and children and families, you're just guaranteeing what the next uh, resistance will look like. It will continue to be violent. It may have a different name from Hamas, but this is this is going to be ongoing. This is why you can't have fascists um, you know, resolving this conflict. We need, uh, we need rules of international law to be applied here so we can begin to build a human solution and begin to rebuild uh, relationships here and make this work and guarantee the security and peace for all people uh, in the regions.
0: Jill, in November of last year, you announced your Kennedy again to run for president uh, for the Green Party USA. Can you talk about uh, why you decided to go uh, at it once more and also about the policies that you're advocating?
1: Um, so, you know, in brief, uh, I had not intended to run again for president, but I was uh, very involved in uh, Dr. Cornell West's campaign. And he was running as a Green. He decided to run independent for reasons that I completely understand. And that was a very amicable uh, parting of ways. Uh, he's always been a solo voice. And it's very hard to learn new, um, you know, a whole new way of operating in the heat of the battle of a presidential campaign. So it made sense and it was the right decision. But it happened late in the game. And Uh, You know, the condition for ballot access. If you want to be a player in the U.S., uh, you have to go through enormous hoops uh, to get on the ballot. Very expensive and uh, very uh, time consuming. We had and we still have ballot access for the Green Party. Uh, for many states and for many of the most difficult states. And if we didn't use it, if we did not have a candidate, we were going to lose it. We were going to lose what we have built up over decades of work, really. So we had to have a candidate. And I was, shall we say, I was arm twisted into stepping up because there aren't many people who sort of have the... um, Uh, The skills and the resources in place to be able to mobilize a team. So, so I jumped in uh, with very short lead time uh, because we had deadlines that we had to meet, uh, basically to be on the ballot in California. It happened. It had to happen almost instantly. So, without a lot of fanfare, we jumped in, and I was so grateful that we could do that. Uh, You know, grateful to all the people who've made it possible for us to be on the ballot and to be a real a contender, because if you're just in the race and you're saying powerful things, that doesn't actually get any traction whatsoever. As as uh, Frederick Douglass said, "Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has, and it never will. And that demand has to be made in the halls of power, or you know, or power doesn't care. They don't give a hoot what you think. Uh, it's only if you can really exercise the power of the vote against them." Um, so the war in uh, against Gaza had just broken out before we launched, and I was so grateful as we were preparing that we would ensure that there will be an anti-genocide voice in this race that's on the ballot. There are other wonderful progressive voices, but they are not on the ballot, and they don't have much prospect for getting on. It's very hard to do that. Robert F. Kennedy is raising a huge amount of money, but he is a warmonger. He is a, um, you know, he's he's all behind uh, the, the Israeli attacks and his talking points are exactly those of the Netanyahu regime It's actually rather shocking. So there may be another independent candidate on the ballot across the country, but at this point we are on track for getting on the ballot uh, across the country. And we will ensure that this fight is not going to be silenced and it cannot be kept out uh, of the election dialogue. So we're, you know, encouraging people to go to, Jill stein 2024com and find out about the campaign and um, you know help make this happen, because this is how we assert political traction. If we have to wait for the uh, uh, International Court of Justice for those wheels to turn, it's going to be a while. But as we build momentum as a political campaign, they will feel that heat. And polls right now show that, in fact, Uh, 20% of African-Americans, 20% of Hispanics, and 21% of youth have already declared that they are not going to vote for Biden. Uh, There is an abandoned Biden movement going on now, uh, especially among those communities. And if we don't provide an option, either they are staying home or they're voting for Trump. Many of them have actually said they will vote for Trump in order to reject Biden. And what we are saying is that you don't have to uh, have a protest vote for Trump. You can have a power vote for myself. We say dump Trump, abandon Biden, and join Jill. Uh, Join us in this fight for What we've been talking about for a long time, but now, you know, the future is here and not only in Gaza, but, you know, in student debt in the the utter failure of our healthcare system, the decline of our economy, you know, the insanity of our foreign policy based on economic and military domination. You know, we have hit the wall. We've hit the wall. And Gaza is evidence of that. Uh, And we need a new way forward. And that's what's going on in our campaign. And uh, it's a it's it's as horrible as things are out there. It's just a wonderful Uh, happenstance right now that at a time people are in rebellion, in open rebellion against the political system, at a time when people are really clamoring for a pro-worker, anti-war climate emergency campaign, we're here. We're here going stronger than ever with a really powerful team on our way to getting on the ballot across the country. So the conditions, really the perfect storm is here for political change and whether we you know whether we draw 51% of the vote or 5% of the vote either way it pushes the envelope and it really moves the needle in a way that it must because if you're saying oh we've got to vote for the lesser evil you're going to have a very hard time figuring out which one is the lesser evil right now given that the democrats are leading the charge on censorship on uh you know on on war on nuclear weapons and um you know that that uh, in so many ways they have just thrown working people under the bus as well as the environment. There's mostly BS going on there in terms of you know, the environmental policies. In fact, let me just give you one factoid. the LNG um, export facilities that are on track for being approved under Biden, there are 22 of them. They don't count in the roster of fossil fuel emissions. So, you know, conveniently, those emissions are offshored. But if you actually include them, and they should be included, then the US basically is retreating to the year 2005 in terms of our fossil fuel emissions. So it reverses all progress. So those who say, oh, those terrible Republicans, you know, you can't just now say terrible Republicans. You also have to say terrible Democrats, because Joe Biden is not only breaking all of his promises, but he's not, you know, he's not doing the things that they claim to do. And that so-called wonderful Inflation Reduction Act bill, it actually requires 60 million acres offshore be auctioned off for fossil fuel every year, 60 million, and then I think 2 million onshore. Uh, this is unbelievable, and that has to be done before a single major project can be undertaken for renewable energy. So it's it's pure smoke and mirrors, and uh, we're in a state of emergency on our climate, just as we are uh, you know, on, on foreign policy and the economy. So we say, forget the lesser evil. It's time to stand up and fight for the greater good, because um, we have nothing to lose here and we have everything to gain.
0: Can you also briefly uh, talk about your policy towards uh, the Ukraine war, if you would come into power?
1: Well, we need to do what has been obvious from the start, and it's not rocket science about how to create a solution here. And let me say that the this whole quagmire was really instigated by the U.S., uh, pushing NATO to expand eastward. This never would have been an issue. And then all along the way, there have been opportunities to uh, respond to the understandable concerns of Russia about having nuclear compatible missiles right now and eventually nuclear missiles right on its border five minutes from Moscow. We did the same thing when Russia put its nuclear missiles in Cuba. We did not allow it. We launched our uh, our nuclear bombs. They were in the air uh, ready to be dropped. And then Khrushchev and uh, Kennedy had the good sense to sit down and negotiate. Khrushchev removed his missiles, and then we agreed to remove our missiles, which were uh, in Turkey at the time, to which um, uh, Russia was responding by placing their missiles uh, in in Cuba. So, you know, we we sat down, we had dialogue. So even in the worst of the Cold War, you know, things were far more reasonable than... than We were willing to be. Russia was trying to negotiate and we were refusing. That's not to say that Russia is the perfect actor here by any means. You know, Russia can be faulted. Absolutely. And its assault on on Ukraine is illegal and murderous and uh, and horrific. Nonetheless, it was completely avoidable. And the U.S. was instigating it and refusing to make peace all along, uh, including making a mockery of the Minsk Accords and... um, disrupting the negotiations that took place in March just a month or two into the war. So finally, uh, Biden, uh, I heard preliminary reports that he's finally agreeing that we're not going to win this. And it's just to the detriment and the abuse of Ukraine that Ukraine is paying in blood, sweat and tears while we're footing the bill, a bill we can't afford to foot. Um, And this has just been devastating all around. So finally, you know both um uh, russia is putting out feelers for moving forward with that peace agreement that has always been on the table uh and now for the first time biden is acknowledging that the plan ain't working folks and this can't go on forever and besides they have a shiny new war now um in uh in israel and gaza so who needs you know uh who needs the ukraine war i mean it's really hard to imagine how this is not being drummed up in the boardrooms of, you know, of the uh, war profiteers who are making out like bandits here while the rest of the world is really going down in flames. So uh, it's not rocket science how to fix this. And our administration will uh, begin to make that happen on day one.
0: To my last question we are currently in a crowdfunding campaign and hope to raise enough funds to continue with our journalism uh, this year. Why do you think it is important for people watching this video to support us uh, going forward and in terms of independent media?
1: Well, you know, I mean just look at what Activism Munich has done. Uh, you know, just being one of the few to tell the truth and shine light on uh on this issue on Ukraine, on, you know, just a whole, the whole spectrum of global crises uh, have been, you know, really in the, um, you know, in the headlines here. And this is such an important source of public education. You know, it's fundamental to the U.S. Constitution. That's why we have, you know, the... um, the bill of rights and freedom of the press is number 1 and because you cannot have a democracy without an educated electorate and uh and you have been doing such wonderful and courageous work when no one else has and taking incredible abuse for saying things that that the uh, thronging mob did not want to hear they still don't want to hear it but it's really important and we need to come to terms with uh, the truth, as being told now by independent media and really not by uh, corporate media whatsoever. So I really encourage people to uh, pony up and ensure that the future is strong and that we can be expanding uh, activism and and similar uh, outlets for uh, real news. Because without it, uh, there's not much hope for the future. But with it, we can be informed and empowered to. Uh, basically change course. You know, we need a drastic mid-course correction, and that won't happen without the likes of uh, Activism Munich. So please support.
0: Dr. Jill Stein, physician, activist, and presidential candidate, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Great talking with you as always, Zane.
0: And thank you for tuning in today. Please don't forget to donate to our crowdfunding campaign so that we can continue with our independent journalism in 2024. Journalism that is viewer funded and does not take any money from corporations and governments. You will find the links to our donation platforms in the description of this video below. Thank you for your support and generosity, and see you next time.
2: True democracy needs an informed public. A public where individuals recognize the value of information information that has been put into the right context, a context that challenges our convictions, and convictions that are not dogmatic, but that we are capable of developing. If we combine these elements, we can revitalize and strengthen one of the most important pillars of our democracy, journalism, the fourth estate, to help find solutions and build bridges rather than divide and marginalize. This is our vision as an independent, non-profit media portal. To ensure that we can remain independent and stay true to our vision, we do not accept any advertising or funding from corporations or governments. Our journalism depends entirely on you, the public, to stay alive. Social change thrives on participation become part of the change. If each of our subscribers donates only 3 to 5 euros per month, then together we will be able to create a network that makes a valuable contribution to opinion making. All of these small contributions come together to create something big.